There she is. Hello. Do I have to turn my camera on? You can see me in my blanket. No. You know, you don't have to worry Darn about it. I didn't want you to have to compete with me. Hello, and welcome to Table for Five with No Reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Hello, thank you for taking a seat at the table. We are in the middle of our expert series and we have our very own Deidre Lunenberg. She is a speech therapist and a friend of all of us. She has a child herself that's on the spectrum. So she, we're going to be talking to her tonight and she's going to be giving us all the speech expertise that, you know, we think we know, but we don't maybe always know like 100% correctly. Tonight, you're going to hear it from her. At the table, we have Jen. Hi, everybody. Rachel. Hey everyone. Jamie. Hello. Tabitha. Hello. Deidre. Hi. And I am Kim. So Deidre, do you want to just introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Deidre Lewenberg. I met all of these lovely ladies in 2020 when we were stuck in our houses and searching for someone to talk to and connect with. <laughs> I've been married to my husband for well, I don't really count how many numbers married, but we've been together since 2002. So we've been together for 21 years. We have three boys together. They are this summer going to be 13, 11, and nine. Let's see if I can do the math every two years. Yes. 13, 11, and nine. I went to school to be a speech language pathologist. I always wanted to help people. And I thought, gosh, how cool would that be to be able to help someone in that way, be able to communicate. I've always had a soft spot for the elderly, people with disabilities, very empathetic, wear my heart on my sleeve. My grandpa's sister actually had an intellectual disability. So that's always kind of been in my life. And oddly enough, my friends from grad school remind me that when we were in grad school learning to be speech therapists, I said to one of them, don't you feel like we're being prepared for something? Like, don't you guys get that feeling that like us learning all this information means we might need to use it one day, like for our own children? Like, no, no, no one, just me. Okay. <laughs> and so learning that I had a child on the autism spectrum was definitely unique being a speech therapist. So I I'd had my own unique journey with that, which I think was honestly a little bit harder even, but I always worked part-time until my middle son, Wyatt, was just about to be diagnosed. And once we knew that he did for sure have autism around the age of four, I kind of took a step back from being a speech therapist for a while just to focus on him. But I have since jumped back in now that he's a little more established. Wonderful. Do you want to talk a little bit about your journey with Wyatt? Like what led you to seek a diagnosis and what population did you work with like before you had your children? Did you work with like kids on the spectrum or did you work with like a different population? I did. So in grad school, I mainly focused on pediatrics. I did like some cleft palate clinic, but I really kind of saw myself working in an elementary school and working with littles. So yes, it was a lot of like speech sound errors, a lot of kids on the spectrum, language disorders, you know, all the things that you would normally see in an elementary school, especially. So I also did line therapy when I was in grad school as one of my jobs. So I worked really closely in the homes of some of the kids with autism. And to be honest, it was like the scariest population for me to work with. I felt like, oh my gosh, they're so unpredictable. I get slapped in the face sometimes. Like it was just scary. You know, you never know what's coming. And I didn't know always what to do. Funny how life works out that way, right? Because now, now that I'm on the other side of it, I mean, they're my favorite because I am and, and I have, you know, connections think of my son, you know, so I have really different relationships and it's not so scary anymore. <laughs> so yes. And then I, you can empathize with the parent with... side too, a lot more probably yeah. now than you could have in the beginning, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yes. Just feel like I can be a lot more helpful to and everyone on the team. You know, I really did not have any inkling with Wyatt that anything was amiss until after age one. And it was just like a couple of things. So it really wasn't enough of those check marks for me to be thinking, oh my gosh, something's wrong. It's like, if there's one or two things, you know, if he's not 
pointing to things. Is that really enough for an autism diagnosis? No, you're probably worrying about nothing. You know, he wasn't really pointing. The big one, I remember the first one was that he wasn't really responsive to his name. So I guess that was like my first red flag. And I, I would ask daycare about it. I would ask my coworkers, like, what do you think? What do you, th-? I was just bouncing off ideas off of everyone. And of course, no one's going to give you a straight answer back. They're all going to tell you what you want to hear, right? I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. And a child like yours could never, you know, I mean, there's just this perception that like, how could a speech therapist have a child who has severe autism, like any autism, but really, really your son has severe autism and people are still shocked when they learn that about me. But anyways, I digress. So that's kind of where it started. And I remember, you know, going to the pediatrician, there were ear infections, there was an ENT that said, well, does he have a hundred words yet? And I'm like, no, but he, but he's not supposed to. And at the same time, talking to my pediatrician and him saying, oh, he's got that many words at 18 months. Well, he's advanced. And I'm like, no, no, wait a minute. You're both off. And I'm thinking, how confusing would this be to like the average parent to say, to have at the same exact time, have one professional tell you, oh, they're advanced. And one professional say, oh, that's definitely a speech delay. And really the reality is kind of right in the middle, but that's kind of where I was really kind of keeping an eye on it. And when he was 18 months and had right around the right number of words, I was, you know, tracking that pretty carefully. I was like, if we don't really take off from here and if his language doesn't start exploding, I'm going to be worried pretty soon. And by the time he was in that like two to three range and it wasn't taking off and the babbling never went away, I was like, what else could this be? You know, and just more of that kind of setting in. But there were roadblocks along the way too. lots of professionals saying, no, I don't think that's it. You know, he's got a lot of great skills that most kids with autism don't have. And of course, as a parent, you're going to run with that and be like, of course, they just yeah. told me he yeah. doesn't. So, you know, that's, that's what you want to hear. And you, it, you just want to hold on to it. And you don't have a lot of people in your life who are willing to like, be really honest with what they think is going on too. So it was hard. <laughs> yeah, and it's hard. Like, I feel like with autism, there's so many inconsistencies always. There's so many varying, like, symptoms and how they're speaking when they're speaking when they're understanding like sensory stuff it differs so much from child to child I think that's so hard you know especially if you don't if you're not knowledgeable about it and even professionals don't seem to be that knowledgeable sometimes where you're like no (laughs) and obviously you're someone who knew a little bit about it but like you said there's people that come in that don't really know or they know like one one image of autism that they have so if like their child's not fitting in that one image yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. I think that's and so are certain kiddos that check every single box and it's like glaringly obvious. And I don't feel like my son was, was that kind of kiddo at all. So he was more of a gray area that over time, it definitely got more severe, but at that time it was like, could it be, I can see it being, I can see it not, you know, so mm-hmm. you're, you're straddling that line. And so I think that made it harder too. I, especially when I felt like I had a typical kiddo for, I mean, all that time. And then to all of a sudden grapple with not was like something was stripped away. And I think that's yeah. a different feeling too, other than, you know, you talk about people who are on the other end of the spectrum where they knew the minute that child was born, that something was different. I never had that. So that those beginning years were a little bit different for me and, and hard. And then you're like, did I, did I miss something? Did I do something wrong? And then I had my third son before why it was ever diagnosed too. And to see him kind of take off developmentally actually helped me a little bit. Cause I'm like, whoa, how does he know all that stuff? I am giving him zero attention. (laughs) He's like a little baby genius. So (laughs) I don't think this is me, you guys. I really (laughs) look at this one. (laughs) Yeah. And he's got even less than Wyatt, you know, because I'm like, am I not giving Wyatt enough? Did I, you know, it's like you give your first kid 
absolutely everything and then you're like oh my gosh how am I gonna ever split my Flush it way more time song and a little bit less and <laughs> yeah and like the third one is just like oh okay you'll get whatever's left over like the five percent of me that's left over but my gosh like all of my kids like everyone else like all my kids are just so very different and mm. I think that helps me come to terms with things a little bit too of like teacher it's it's nothing that you did or didn't do or could have done more like this is just him and you gotta roll with it you know and do whatever you can but stop beating yourself up about it mm-hmm. you know it's hard I feel like every every uh, parent on our journey, our path, uh, autism diagnosis path goes through those thought processes, like, and especially like we talk about this often about autism, not having like a cause, you know what I mean? We've talked about uh, Down syndrome on the podcast before and how there's like a indicator for that. We, We don't really have that in our community. And so you go down that track, I think of like, especially with your first kiddo. You're like, oh my gosh, what did I do? What did I do something in my pregnancy? Even though we all know that's not the the case, but it's hard not to go there. There's just a lot about autism that doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things. We know so much more, like then, for instance, than we knew when my daughter was diagnosed. But still, there's so much that doesn't make sense. So I think that makes you want to analyze and figure out. Like, how did this happen? Where did this happen? And then of course you're going to like put the blame on yourself because that's what like we do as moms because trying to like rationalize it, I guess. And I think that just comes with it, but yeah. And it's hard not to figure it out. Like I just Mm -hmm. want an answer. Mm -hmm. I want to fix it. (laughs) Everything has its place. And with this, it's like, Ooh, it's just a big old mystery. And you're going to have to live with that and just make the best of it you know how is Wyatt today you mentioned he's going to be turning nine he's going to be 11 so he's 11 oh your little one's going to be nine oh my gosh (laughs) I know he is doing really well so he's doing a lot of communicating he's a very like clever communicator I, I like to say I've learned so much in the last year or so even about gestalt language processing or scripting as we like to call it and it's been fascinating to learn more about that because I've always just kind of had a sense that he is communicating in this way and, you know, trying to make links to like, you know, what is he trying to say with this constant line from inside out or whatever. And that has been really eye-opening. I think just for me, for the family, for the whole team, you know, everyone that loves him and works with him. I mean, is he conversational? No, but I would never say nonverbal. I mean, he has a lot of words. (laughs) It's hard for him to answer questions, but he, like I said, can definitely make his needs and wants known. He's very playful. He's very loved by his brothers and, you know, everyone that comes across him. So he's doing really well. And I remember thinking when he was really little, you know, and when we were first starting to kind of question and go through the diagnosis, like, what, what am I ever going to get out of him? You know, am I really going to know what's inside his head? Is he ever going to be able to, you know, communicate with us and tell us what he's feeling? And we are getting that. It's just in a different code and we have to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. So I wanted to see if you would mind explaining some of the different, I know you just briefly mentioned scripting, but like just for some of our listeners that might not be as far in their journey, they might not quite know. I know you took a big break. So if you're not like an expert in some of the stuff, that's fine. I got a lot written down here. (laughs) (laughs) I figured we could start with, I don't know if I'm going to say it right. I'd never say it right. Echolalia, is that how you? Yes. So a lot of that is like repeating phrases to, to put it very simply. Yes. So if you ask him a question or something and he repeats back exactly what you say, a lot of that is echolalia and you'll hear like delayed echolalia is a lot of repeating phrases that they might hear other places. And then what is the difference between that and scripting? I don't know if I could give you a good answer for that. I mean, they're kind of the same thing. Um, And so I think what's happening now in the speech language world is that they're kind of moving towards just out language processing to describe those exact things. So echolalia is kind of what a lot of autism parents call scripting. It's just scripting is not really like the 
the actual term for it if that right makes sense. and it's yeah and it's like maybe a little more detailed or something than because I know my daughter has echolalia but she does not have scripting like she doesn't have she repeats words and like sounds and like she'll she'll say the same word for an hour like you'll just hear in our room and she'll just like it will be like on a loop because she develops speech so late that like it's like oh I just said that so she's like I'm gonna say that again I'm gonna say that again you know but she doesn't yeah. like say a sentence or anything like that like how like I know Tabitha's son and what you're on doing it where they like get something mm -hmm. from a movie and kind of like mm -hmm. say it I always think of echolalia as like parroting repeating from someone like mm -hmm. just or repeating. even titling titling yeah and then I think of scripting as like more advanced communication like my son uses phrases from movies or tv or even people around him to communicate his feelings and expressions and wants which yeah. he started with echolalia then moved to scripting then moved to functional language which he still struggles with you know conversational language and answering questions and stuff like that mm -hmm. but he'll use a script to answer a question that you ask him to communicate like the feeling behind it more so than echolalia is really kind of just like a simple repeat of a word that's all how I always think about about it with him anyway we've always been told it's the same thing we, they say he has delayed echolalia or or scripting they say this I don't know yeah yeah because yeah, the scripting scripting is not is it not like a technical term is that what no and I think a lot of us use the term scripting because I mean, that's an easy way to describe it, right? It's mm -hmm. sometimes it is a line from a movie. Sometimes it could be, you know, what they heard grandpa say last night. They're really yeah. just taking something that they heard and spinning it back out verbatim. And a lot of our kiddos have an issue with language processing. Mm -hmm. And I've always known that about Wyatt as well. And it's not like he can put together his own sentence, but mm -hmm. gosh, he can spit out a sentence that he's heard someone else create beautifully his articulation mm -hmm. is beautiful you know the speech is great and you think my gosh he can put together this long sentence not on his own though I mean that takes a different part of the brain to actually formulate that sentence yourself so I think that's why our kids are super clever when they do kind of take this language that they've heard whether it's a simple phrase or whether it's a long sentence that is conveying something because they're storing that in their little file folder of like, mm -hmm. Oop, okay, that's a good one. I'm going to use that for a certain situation. I can't come up with it myself, but I've yeah. got all of these stored so that I can use them when it's appropriate. And yeah. I think that's just and fascinating. Yeah. It, I, I, do, I agree. It's not appropriate too. And that thing, yeah. <laughs> come on out. That's true. That's yes, true. But it still is. It still yeah. is to them. Like, this is yeah. perfect. Yeah, this we had a moment at the Olive Garden about that on Saturday. Yeah. Uh -huh. just, I just bring the food, ma'am, please. Never mind the table. Now, Jen, is that a little bit of personality too? She comes from yeah. you. So well, I mean, yeah, it all mixes her. together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. That's like a really good example. It was, it made us laugh so hard was we were going on a trip with my older son's Boy Scout troops and we were all going to meet at the parking lot in the morning. And I was kind of organizing the event. So I had everyone's tickets printed out and why it has been on a kick of like inside out and doing a lot of lines from inside out for different reasons. And so he heard me on the phone talking to one of the moms saying, I have your tickets. So whenever you pull up, you know, I'll just hand them to you, whatever. So this car pulls up in the parking lot. And I just said to my husband, you know, it's all these things. We don't think they're listening they're listening. So I just say to my husband really quickly, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go give her her tickets. I'll be right back. I pop out of the car and Wyatt uses this line, like so perfectly timed that he's been using for a while, like recently. And he goes, um, it's this part from, oh, it's Zootopia in the very beginning when there's this bully that like pushes the rabbit down and he mm, goes yeah. those tickets right now <laughs> and he does the voice exactly right <laughs> the intonation and Matt's like you left the car and Wyatt goes give me those tickets right now <laughs> how perfect oh, is yeah. that yeah. you know like He's listening, first of all, to every conversation in detail. That was not meant for him to be hurt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and just like, oh, he's like, I got the perfect one for this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and they'll say them 
all the time like they Mm -hmm. don't care who gets it who doesn't and so it's just kind of funny because we'll be out somewhere and I swear like people must look at him like he's crazy and I'm like and if you don't know all your Disney movies you're gonna be confused (laughs) (laughs) you have to know the context for sure sometimes you're like what I don't know what is happening yeah they're played so often in our home that like oh my gosh we can all all five of or all yeah there's five of us right yeah (laughs) (laughs) out them off like all the time be like oh that reminds me of that part from Lion King you know it's like because it's constant soundtrack of our lives so we could make millions on a disney trivia (laughs) game show a police officer to blow it out his old wow zoo which was a scene for manny from miss hannigan yeah oh yes that that movie gets you every time every time (laughs) we were even at a a funeral this weekend and oh gosh one of the back rooms you know, so already I'm like oh really. no oh I know we're like we're gonna try this but we <laughs> were in one of the back rooms he was kind of scrolling on his phone and luckily we were able to watch everything but at the very end of the service he heard those bagpipes and he like perked up and I said to the other person that was with me I'm like have you ever seen Brave I think this is reminding him of Brave you know do you know the movie Brave? Yeah. <laughs> and they're probably just looking at me like, what are you talking about? No, I I don't know Brave. And I'm like, you know, the movie in Scotland with the, okay, never mind, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> like like expects Merida to walk down the aisle. The yeah, rainer. exactly. He's like, where is she? she Merida's here. <laughs> but you know, it's just those things that like crack me up that I'm just so thankful for him sometimes to be like, gosh, my life would be so serious if I didn't have you to like, pull me back all the time oh it'd be like that's actually funny yeah I (laughs) you have to be so like astute to like figure you know like my daughter she has phrases that she says that they wouldn't make sense to anybody but she they make sense to us because she says them all the time so one thing one thing she says all the time is no leopard okay which she learned to say leopard at we went to the animal kingdom and like she said leopard the whole way home but like she has a proxy so it's not clear finally Uh I figured out what she was saying I don't know if that's what she's saying in this phrase but that's what we take it as and then the other night she's going no leopard okay and you kind of just tune it out because it's like she says it so much but she wanted something but she can't for some reason like that's all she can retrieve she can't retrieve like hey get me something to eat which is what she was trying to say to us but and then we're like oh she's trying to tell us and this is like a new thing probably in the past couple months where for some reason that's what she can retrieve like or whatever phrase it is it doesn't match up to like what's happening but it's like I don't know why that's just like what she for some reason can say so it's Mm -hmm. like when she's saying that you have to like now pay attention and be like what is she actually trying to say or how does it match up with a past experience where she's said this and this has happened and she's kind of trying to make that connection again Mm -hmm. she doesn't really say many words unprompted Mm -hmm. so it's like she can't like whatever that process is really hard for her. So it's like, she's like, well, I can say this. So I'm just going to say this until like somebody like, <laughs> yeah. My favorite is when my kids say something, because my daughter, Nora is nonverbal, but she's making a lot more word approximations now, but we, we don't know like probably 95% of what she's trying to verbalize, but she'll look at me like I'm the dumb dumb. <laughs> you know? Like, Hey lady, <laughs> do you hear what I'm saying? There's <laughs> something coming out you're not listening to me (laughs) Nixon used to do that too he he would like say something to me or it'd be out of context and I had no idea like it took a while but and he would look at me like seriously I was like (laughs) Like, I just asked you for chicken nuggets I said uh come on lady yeah you know also (laughs) when you were saying you know we were saying how our our kids will just kind of randomly script or whatever but with Annie even I joke about it but there's those scenes go back to bed or else you'll have me to deal with Miss Hannigan. Like she was scripting that a lot. So I said to the teacher, Hey, that's just for Manny. Just so you know, <laughs> getting her to go back to bed you know? and anything else that might come out of her mouth. She did not learn from me. So, <laughs> yeah. well, know that. Like, it was instrumental in figuring out what was going on in my son's head because so he loves Charlie Brown and he would always script this one line where Linus loses his blanket. He's like, I lost my blanket. I lost my, and I thought he was just 
getting so caught up in that like movie in his head that it was making him sad but then I slowly started I was like oh he's trying to express that he's sad and that's the only way he can associate mm-hmm. it I don't know like in the beginning I didn't let my son watch much tv but when he did his language built so much because he mm-hmm. started scripting from the characters on tv that's and I'm, what I'm going with Jamie that sounds good <laughs> yeah <But> really <laughs> SLP and screen time yeah he didn't care what we said but if Charlie Brown said it it like yeah Nixon used to script you know the line from boss baby where he, it's like the clock and the clock would say you shall not pass you shall not pass so he would script that every time he was upset about something he'd be like you shall not pass you shall not pass in this exact tone of this like wizard clock but he was it was the same as Jesse where he was trying to communicate that he was like angry or like upset about something and once we cut on we're like okay he's upset about Jesse did that one time with us with um Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory I don't know if you guys have seen that but at the engine while it goes I said good day sir and he was like so mad at me and Isaac and he goes I said good day and we just are trying so hard not to laugh because he's pissed and I'm like <laughs> I have a big soft spot for SLPs. I think they are instrumental in the road of all of therapies. I think for, for my daughter, for Kaya, our SLP, Jackie, I've written about her a million times. She was mm-hmm. the first therapist in this money-making machine called autism because it's a money-making machine mm-hmm. of therapies and therapists and all the things of just collecting money from people and nothing and I don't want to say wasn't helping my daughter because you know when you jump into this autism you just want somebody to help your kid right so we went through a lot of false starts let's just say that and then we got really lucky and found Jackie which was Kaya's speech language pathologist she said to me at the beginning you can't expect things from her if she can't communicate so if it's not verbal we have to give her a tool to communicate and so I learned we learned very basic sign language and all of those things but we, and we did the Hannon program. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's mm-hmm. um, It teaches you to talk uh, to your child, not at your child and not for your child. And that was a really hard thing. But anyway, for me, Jackie was instrumental. I think she set the tone, the path, the bar very high for therapists after. And mm-hmm. it, that what she said to me, um, the two things was, if she can't communicate, how can all these people expect things from her? She can't communicate. And also she said that I had to work as hard with her at home as they did with her in therapy because she needed the practice of uh, on, under, up, down, those kind of things that, you know, so for me, SLP, I just, I have mad respect for mad respect that's awesome and I also think that like there's so much more than just a speech therapist because they have learned so much about our children or whatever population they're working with like I've had speech Mm -hmm. therapists teach me so many things about autism that like aren't necessarily related to the speech and language type of things you know uh, about processing about the way she takes in her environment like things that I would have never known and you know you guys just learn that by just like working so closely with our children just such a wealth of knowledge for us parents kudos to all of you guys are you familiar with like all right my daughter has apraxia and people ask me all the time what that is and like I never know how to answer that because I'm not sure I still still exactly know what that is to describe it do you can you like describe that a little bit? I'm not going to do this in a pretty way. And and there are certain SLPs that like have more expertise in that area. So you always want to like refer to them. I know there's one even in our group who kind of has that as one of her like areas of expertise mm-hmm. because the field of speech language pathology is so broad that you do kind of have like your little niche, but basically it's more of an issue with motor planning. So it's hard for them in areas of their brain to literally get their tongue and their articulators to make those sounds and make them in the the correct sequences. So it would be really hard to just like spit together like this entire sentence that I'm saying, because it just takes a lot of coordination and they don't have the motor planning for that. And I hope all my apraxia gurus are okay with that. Just, no, I'm, I'm also trying to kind of speak parentese too, because, you know, to the average parent who's listening to this, like, it's not always easy to understand all the SLP jargon either. And like, okay, what does that really mean? You know, after, even after being explained it. So I always try and kind of think of the best terms to explain that. I don't know if that yeah. helps. No, I think that's a great explanation. So like, if there's not a praxier, 
but a child's not talking like so what is the difference so apraxia is like where the message from the brain kind of you know doesn't work correctly basically what is just like a speech and language delay like what what is the difference um I mean you can definitely have both you can have different presentations you can have language delay and apraxia so there's just a lot of different reasons why speech is delayed why language delayed and apraxia is definitely part of that and can be happening at the same time um so it's it's totally different with every person and really during the evaluation that's picking apart all of those things there are certain tests that slps do to kind of see how fast they can do their articulation and and put different sounds together that might be kind of a red flag like oh maybe it's apraxia because i don't think they're able to really articulate that the way that they should versus just not being able to say like their k's and g's that would be something that's not really apraxia related but more just in terms of the actual speech and language that makes total sense do you want to talk uh just briefly about like the different types of therapies that you guys do with with kiddos that have either speech delays or apraxia or what you know whatever it might be Like, obviously, I know we do uh, sign language is one thing that never worked for us because obviously with the apraxia, that's also (laughs) also the stubbornness of autism. And I was like a mix of the two things. I'm not sure which one took over more. But for some people, I'm very successful with that. But that just wasn't like that darn motor planning, (laughs) that brain and the motor plans. Yeah, she just got more down and then more was like for everything. If she did more, she thought she could just have it. (laughs) Yes, I had to. Well, there's a lot of different things. And and one thing I guess I would say is I think more and more SLPs are not waiting as long as they used to, to introduce a device to say, we have to have all of these prerequisites before you have to be able to show me that you can do all of these things before we move to a device. And every kiddo is different, but I think the biggest thing is just in the beginning, especially for our really early learners is getting that communicative intent they really understand that if I do this, it communicates a message and I'm getting what I want, you know? So that's starting at like the very basic level. And I think kind of back in the day, maybe when our kids were younger and I think it's still being used, you know, a lot of people are doing like the pecs cards. I was never big into the pecs myself. I didn't have a lot of kiddos that use that. I think that it was just like really kind of flimsy and not really functional. And of course, like as a mom, I'm also like really about the functional, like, all right, in the everyday life, is this something that we can really use and have it be functional? And if not, it's not worth it, you know, but they would kind of move from packs up to a device. And now I think kids are starting with devices, especially with how accessible an iPad is earlier and earlier. You know, when I started out early in my career and we were looking at, you know, communication devices for kids, it was a big process of getting insurance approval. And it was kind of this big clunky device with this little bitty screen. And so it was, it was hard to carry around and all of these issues. But now with iPads being, you know, so widely used by all kids, even typically developing kids, I think that's really opened up a lot for everyone. So I have students now who just use like such a wide variety of means of communication, even in their older years, especially if speech doesn't ever come, you're really just looking at like, okay, maybe if speech isn't going to come, how are we going to help this person get their message across by any means necessary? And it can be using signs, gestures, vocal approximations. Sometimes all you need is a, and you know, that means help. Even something like head nods or shakes or little You know, I have some that are just so clever in their communication. And if that gets their message across, then great. But adding in the device just kind of opens up a whole new world, especially for those kiddos whose speech isn't going to come because there's only so much that you can do with signs and gestures. And Mm -hmm. although those are the quickest and the most effective, we never want to like take those away, obviously use those and whatever is going to be quickest and most efficient But, you know, you're always trying to help the person clearly and effectively get their message across. And using all of the above is something that most SLPs encourage. You know, no one's really taking away any of those. It's just 
communicating really effectively. A lot of our kids, I know I can speak for my daughter and I know Tabs, you've said this before, when they can't communicate, they're so frustrated Mm -hmm. and it's so heartbreaking to see, which was Kaya's case when we started seeing Jackie. And she said like, we have to give her a way to communicate her wants and her needs and to respect those wants and needs. And um, and Kaya wasn't a big fan of pecs, but I'll see, you know, Facebook memories will come up and I'm like, there's pecs in the bathroom, pecs on the stove, pecs, like pecs all over the house, you know, (laughs) but the communication part with the devices now, those are sort of just kind of coming around. I mean, Kaya was diagnosed 10 years ago and they were sort of, I think, just kind of coming out a little bit more then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. So Alyssa was 16 when she got a speech device. So like, you know, she's a very good nonverbal communicator. Like she does get her point across. And mm-hmm. now that she has some speech, the problem is when it's in context, I can understand when it's completely out of context, we can't always understand, but she's still so resistant to the device. And I think it's just because she was so old when she got it. So it's like, she'll do it for like activities. Like if we sit down and do flashcards, if we sit sit down and do some type of game, something structured and she's really good at navigating it, but independently we can't still get her to do it. And like, we'll take breaks and then like go back to trying to get her to do it because I mean, she's so set in her way now. So, and obviously that would be the clearest way for her to communicate, but it's also hard because you've got to navigate through so many screens and if you don't have the right picture of what she's trying to say, like yeah. if I, if I say, why are you upset? She'll just press sad. Like she can't kind of go beyond that explanation. So it's just hard. You know, I and think if she had the technology younger, it would have probably been a lot. There's not as much stuff to motivate her now. She's like, <laughs> and it's like you said, it has to be worth their while. So mm-hmm. if they have to navigate through four different screens and then the word that they're searching for really isn't on there anyways, they're not going to see the point in that. And like I said, if they have a gesture or something else, that's going to get the same message across much quicker, you would do that too. I think devices are really great because they just supplement, but it's really finding the the right device with the right program that makes sense for the child. Like my son wasn't ready for it right when we introduced it. And we needed to kind of take a step back and reintroduce it at a later time when I'm like, all right, now I think he's ready, but I want it to be the right program for him. I'm not a fan of things that are like super abstract. You know, some of those little buttons are like, okay, pointing to a big square and then a little square with an arrow. Yeah, My son, who's not that abstract, needed real pictures. So that was important for me to have on his device. The more real pictures that you can have that they can associate that and it makes sense to them is going to be more functional. I'm always about that. You know, it's got to be quick and we only have the attention of our uh, conversational partner for so long and it's got to be worth their while. So it has to be, you know, something where they kind of see like, oh, this is going to help me out because it's going to get that message across a lot sooner and it's going to take away some frustration for me. So sometimes it just takes a lot of playing around to like, how can we get their buy-in so that they realize that this is not a clunky tool that's going to just take more time, but is actually going to help speed them up in communicating what they want. And kind of going back to what Jen was saying too, is otherwise we see those behaviors because Mm -hmm. they have no way of communicating it. Like I'm feeling really frustrated. I'm feeling really sick. And gosh, I feel like, you know, now that my son's 10, almost 11, you know, we're seeing a little bit more frustration (laughs) and that could be the age too. You know, I mean, now we're heading into those lovely tween years and what we went through with my oldest son is probably starting to happen with Wyatt too. And he's going to be more frustrated. (laughs) He is kind of telling us more of what he wants and what he needs and expecting it. (laughs) It's like, I'm communicating it. What happened to those days when you were just reinforcing everything because I was saying, <laughs> yeah. he actually said to me today, mom, ask, believe, receive. <laughs> and I was like, okay, we got to dial it in. Sister. I, I think with devices too, like my daughter is newly using a device she's probably had hers I don't know I want to say maybe a year we've been working on it probably 
but she has a very high receptive language and is a very good nonverbal communicator. And so like Kim was saying, if the right button's not on the machine, she's like, you know what I mean, lady, we're not working <laughs> with this thing. So we have added in a lot of actual pictures, like especially for preferences for like movies or things like that. She won't just do like TV show. You know what I mean? It has to be like, I want brave. I want whatever. And there's a steep, steep learning curve for parents on devices. It is hard as heck for me to navigate that I know. device. Sometimes let alone, we're both like, where's the button? Where's the button? <laughs> and moving things around and trying to figure out how many pages to go in between. Because if you have too many things on the front page, it's also a cluster. So it's mm -hmm. been a lot of learning. And it is hard, I think, for functional language purposes at the beginning of learning a device, like going out into the public when there's a lot of sound and sensory overload and things like that, it, it's hard to implement. You have to keep trying, of course, and it's a practice makes perfect type of situation or semi-perfect or functional yeah. perfect, whatever that looks like. But I think we're finding it's hard in the community and when we're out and about and even just at home, she uses it more functionally at school or in a program oh. than she does at home. Because at home, yeah. she's like, you know what I'm talking about, lady. We yeah. don't need this device. Come on now. <laughs> and you know, her I felt like such a bad speech language pathologist, too, because I don't use his device that much at home. And I yeah. and I always harped on people like, I bet you they're not using this at all this weekend. Until you're a mom, you, <laughs> yeah. you don't really understand why you don't need it that much. Yeah. And usually dead. It's usually charging every night. And yes, they're using it at school and using it with less familiar. I mean, his, his team is still familiar, but it's so different, even as a school SLP, to practice what we call in the very like structured setting. Mm -hmm. You're in a speech therapy room where you can kind of contrive these situations it is a lot different and a lot easier to kind of practice certain language phrases where you know it's going to be on the device versus lugging it around at a festival or something or taking it to the ice cream store and being like, no, if I really wanted to be a great mom and SLP, I would have five of these, you know, flavor choices pre-programmed into his talker yeah. before we go. I do am I so know? relieved that you don't, no. Deidre. No, I no, do I I'm know. so happy. Tell us again. Yeah. It is real life, honey. You know, and yeah. and you want it, to, you want to give them the choices. Time. Yeah. And you want to yeah. give them the choices, but you also can't anticipate every button or every want or desire or need on an AAC device. You just can't. And if you can provide it for them and try, I feel like the more options we give Nora, the less her, her frustration goes down for sure. But it's a learning curve for both of us. Like we both are trying to figure it out at the same time. You know, I want to give her everything that I can, but it's also like, yes, this is real life. She's going to get more frustrated if I take five minutes to find the button and program it into the device. Plus they're always going to pick that nasty blue one, that Superman blue one. <laughs> oh, it's the best ice cream ever. <laughs> the bubble what gum. It, you know, yeah, what Super it really looks like is me yelling from the backseat. All right, do you want strawberry <laughs> or cookie dough? For our listeners, all of moms here are going left hand, right hand, left hand, right hand. <laughs> yeah. so, Tabitha, you said choices, and that was one of the things Jackie said. Give her choices. She should get to choose what she wants to wear, eat, drink, those kind of things. Well, let's, um, let's just not too many kids. choices. It's yeah. always yeah. a little bit, it's always a balance. Yeah. Well, and I, but, I think and then you've to be respected the choices she makes because unless know. it's no pants to school. Well, <laughs> you know. Well, and I think you don't forget there's no requesting. There's no requesting of things in a verbal way that a neurotypical child requests things. And so you do a lot in order to narrow the gap. So, like, I'm picking pants. I'm picking the shoes that you're going to wear because there's no request for anything different until there's a frustration. And then you're trying to figure out what the frustration is. Like, I don't want to wear these pants. I'd rather wear a skirt today or whatever the, the case may be. So I think you get into a routine of kind of like just being the choice because there's no requesting, verbal requesting going on. I don't know. It's easy to forget, I think, sometimes that 
-hmm. our kids have preferences uh, outside of what they're communicating be outside of frustration frustrations where you see is when they get angry or upset and then you try and figure it out I think it's normal too to feel a little bit guilty like gosh I'm only giving him these two choices what if he wants something else and I'm only providing these two choices but I will tell you every single time that my son picks something that's not a choice I get so happy like okay so if I'm not giving you a choice and you still want something else like you can tell me like no none of those like I remember getting so excited about I think he was you know really young when he said I I think I gave him two color options and he said brown I'm like oh first of all he knows bro (laughs) you know and that he was able to say "Mm, neither you know because so much of it is like I was just constantly assessing like what do you know what do you know what do you Mm -hmm. know testing and testing and testing you know just to kind of see where he was at and so any little glimpse that we can get is just marvelous I freak out every time fantastic yeah well Deidre I think you'll appreciate this so we were leaving speech one day and Kaya went to put on her shoes and she went oh bleep bleep audience and Jackie went oh two points one for a word and one for the correct context (laughs) 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 she was so proud and she was jumping up and down yes expressive language right yeah we'll take those whistles she's like two points yeah. Well, and I think one thing as parents to autistic children that we don't think about or don't know about, should I say, it's not that we don't think about language is so complicated and fascinating. It oh. really is like the way that my son communicates versus the way that my daughter communicates. It's night and day and they both were nonverbal at one point in time, non-speaking, whatever phrase you prefer to use, but the way that they communicate and the way that their language has developed or is developing is completely opposite for them. And my son is verbal, still has a language delay, still can't conversationally communicate for his age, you know, those kind of things. And he loses language if he's overstimulated, if we're out in public, like it disappears completely. So that part of it, people wouldn't even consider like why isn't he talking why isn't he answering because you've heard him speak many 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 times before but no there's like a weird humming or there's too many people in this room or there's scratchy pants or you know whatever the case may be and the language just is gone it's gone and the same with regression my daughter had a significant regression at 18 months she had some verbal language and then went completely silent like that is mind-blowing to people that language can be there and then disappear also it's fascinating well and I think the language part is so hard and I think that in the beginning of the journey you're like okay you'll get a speech therapist and they're going to teach them how to talk like you know you always you think it's going to be the simple solution yeah exactly you have (laughs) six months to do this lady (laughs) (laughs) yeah Well, because that's just what people, oh, they're not talking. You need to get them a speech therapist so they can get talking. Like, that's like what people like literally say to you. So that's what you think. And there are some kids, obviously we know that, you know, never, I mean, my daughter started words when she was 22, like never had a word before 22, except for no, she did have that word all along. (laughs) (laughs) We always joke that like, God was like, you can have one word. And she was like, I'll take no. That one's going to come in real handy for me. Um, she also knew no, no, and no, no, no. And, and, no. and, and now she'll say no, thank you. No. <laughs> like, not, in a, not in like a polite way. <laughs> in like an absolutely not way. It is a middle but, finger of a no, thank you. <laughs> but I, I did notice that when she got her speech device is when more um, approximations came. And then when we started using her device at home, she would never let us use it when she was in school. The second I took that out of her bag, she would go crazy. And of course, I, maybe I should have pushed it. But like, I mean, she would go crazy. I think she really associated that was like her work. School was work. And that's where she did that. Home was not the place for that because she was like, you people already know what I want. It's been 16 years in the making. <laughs> We're not going to go back on that now. But when I did start using the device at home is when we started to see some language come. So I also think people are afraid sometimes if they use a device that it will prevent their child from talking. But like from my experience and what I've heard from other people seems to be the opposite. 
Exactly. I think, yes, a lot of people think that they're giving up on speech, which is completely not the case. And like, this is going to get more buy-in and increase the language for your kids if it's used in the right way, because it's helping them. It's, and it's for something that's very hard for them to do. You know, a couple of things I was thinking about when you were talking is my son doesn't talk as often if we're in like family get togethers either, because it already takes so much work. Yeah. And then you add in all of these people talking at the same time. I mean, I can barely get a word in edgewise. With <laughs> can you imagine him? He's like, I'm not even going to try. So they might not even get to hear what I hear from his language because he does it at home. And, you know, when he knows I'm listening and can kind of decode and it's worthwhile for him to put together that effort to do that. And also a school day is really tough. Like that is work for them all day long to go through it, to do a whole bunch of things that like really don't make sense to them. Don't really, they're not always fun. You know, it is a, it's a lot. And when my son gets home too, it's like decompress time. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, you know what I mean? Like, this is your safe space to just be you. I'm not going to push you into anything. Like you just need to relax. And the boy needs to eat. You know, he gets home. (laughs) I have been starving myself all day. The only thing I'll eat at school is yogurt covered raisins. So I'm like, eat something. It just ravages the cupboards because my gosh, it's just apparently different straight from the fridge or straight from the cupboard he won't eat anything but that's a whole nother I know and it's like and it's like you do feel bad like I always feel guilty like oh I should have pushed it more I should but and then the school's like oh she's so good at it she does it all day long here but it's like does she do it independently all day long there I don't now seeing how good she does structured when they have their routine, she's going to do it because that's the routine. Everybody takes out their speech device. They, you know, they're doing calendar or a circle or like, you know, whatever they might be doing. So she's going to do it in that environment. In this environment, she's like, I'm the queen. You guys are just going to run around and figure out what it is that I want. Like you always have, <laughs> that's not changing. I wanted to ask you too, since there are a lot of people sometimes that can't get speech therapists, whether it's waiting list or the area they live in, or it's just not offered around them. Do you have any kind of like advice that you can give parents of things they could maybe do to like help their children along if they can't get to a speech therapist? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely simple things that you can do in terms of asking less questions. I think a lot of times parents are constantly kind of quizzing and asking questions. It's just, it's not that intuitive, but doing less, (laughs) you know, letting, giving the child more pause time, giving them lots of, of your attention and narrating a lot of what you're doing as well. So speaking in shorter, simple phrases that you think your child can kind of pick up on so that they can kind of model after what you're saying, what you're doing, you know, all of those things are helpful. I'm sure there's a ton that I'm missing. Yeah. And I think that Alyssa's speech therapist at one time was at the house working with us and she was like, you got to give her time. You got to give her 30 seconds, which is a long time. 30 seconds is a long time to give somebody to respond. It doesn't sound long, but it is. And I never knew that. I was never told that before. And she was probably like 10. That made such a huge difference, a huge difference. And I have to remind myself even now, because it's your instinct to be like, say this, you repeat, you know, you're repeating yourself. And then I'm like, okay, Kim, shut up. Just let her, (laughs) you just give her a second. And I see, I pick it up when other, like if my husband does it, I'm like, you got to give her a minute. But I still sometimes catch myself doing it because it's just like that natural instinct to like, try to like repeat and you know and it is true when you you give them that pause I mean a huge difference like with her even like her receptive language which we like you know they said that she didn't really have but I think she she did have it it's just she she needed that chance to like process and then she'll do it even now sometimes I'm like what what is she because I know she understands but still then you give her the minute and then she goes and like says comes and puts her shoes on or whatever it is and it's like okay we need to give her I mean it's hard when you get four kids and you're always rushing to get out of the house (laughs) (laughs) nobody's listening she's the only one with autism nobody else has issues on either so it's like and it's not like our kids are hard of hearing you know you don't need to say the same thing 
three more times, they heard you. They heard you the first time and repeating it over and over. It's not necessarily going to make them go faster. And it's not that they didn't hear you, but yes, there's processing issues. You know, you might have to reword things. There's a whole lot that could be going on there. Obviously depends on where your children are at, you know, because some children can sit at a table and do flashcards, but like not, Alyssa could never have done that as a a seven-year-old. There's just no way. She'll do it now. But at that time, she had no interest in it. It would have just been a fight to get her to even sit at a table, you know, because I always do the same thing where I should have been doing more with her when she was younger. But then I'm like, I couldn't even get her to sit and eat when she was younger. Like, never mind, like, come to the table for a lesson. But I do feel badly when there's so many waitlists out there and so many parents that just can't get the services, you know? I know. Well, and I feel like there's a lot of people that come to me with questions and are wondering if they should get speech therapy or not. And it's always it's never going to harm your child. Yes. It's just going to benefit them. And, you know, the other thing that I want to touch on too, is if you're with the right team, and I know that there's a lot of horror stories out there, but if you're with the right team, you don't need to come in knowing everything, you know, your team is there to like guide you. And it's important to go on gut feeling. Every Mm -hmm. therapist is going to be different no matter what type of therapy they do, you just have to find the people that you have the right mama gut feeling for. And there's no amount of like fighting or advocating or anything that you're going to do to change that person and the way that they operate. If that's not already how they are, you know what I mean? I I see it so many times with, you know, new moms, especially who maybe they've never been to an IEP and they don't know what to expect. And they're like, all right, I'm ready. Guns a blazing. It's just like, Whoa, 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 whoa. Like, you know, 99% of the time you've got this like team of like loving, caring people who are wiping your child's nose for you. They're checking, like, is she maybe tired or hungry or something's off today? I mean, they care so much about your child and everyone should be working together as a team. And like I said, you know, you need to come in prepared and kind of know what you're doing and, and you're going to feel more confident that way. But like, you know, I come to my IEP meetings and I'm like, cookies for you, cookies for you. <laughs> Literally, but I'm like, thank you for loving my boy. I know you yes. guys do so much for him. You know what I mean? And like most school professionals or anyone who's doing it for the right reasons, which I, I would like to think is most people, they're there to help support your child, make sure that you understand the process. They're listening to you for what you know about your child and, and vice versa. You know, like most of the time, I mean, I've had good experiences and I love all the kiddos that I work with that I never want parents to feel like they're not a good mom if they're not coming in with their fists up, ready for a fight or, you know, ready to make sure something's in that IEP because that's never my main concern as a parent. I'm like, I just want you to be nice to my mm-hmm. son. Like, mm-hmm. that's all I care about. And I know that this document is important and the supports that he gets are important. But even if you're providing like the best academics and the best support, if he's not respected and treated kindly, like none of that matters to me, you know? So that's my little spiel too about yeah. professionals and new parents who kind of have that impression because we hear about that. We hear the horror stories, you know, and we mm-hmm. hear about IEPs not being followed and that is a problem. And I feel terrible for those families and when things are not going the way they should. But to me, it's like you you have to go with your gut and who the, the right people are. And yeah. sometimes you move, sometimes you need a new team. Sometimes you got to kick those therapists out if they're not the right ones, because, mm-hmm. you know, everyone is so different. And, and that's, you know, unfortunate that we, we kind of have to switch everything, but I think that that's more beneficial than, you know, trying to change someone who's probably not going to change or to make that like environment more hostile for your child. I'm always really afraid to do that too. Like, yeah. Now they've got the crazy mom, you know, sometimes crazy mom is I'm, I'm also crazy, passionate mom. You know, I mean, that's just always going to be who I am. And I'm going to make sure that, you know, my son is taken care of. I'm very passionate about that, but also realistic. Yeah. You bring cookies. I bring wine. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody here gets a bottle, red or white. Well, and I have to say, um, so my daughter is going to school to be a speech therapist. So she's in her third year of college and she's like, mom, it's amazing. Anybody can talk. 
<laughs> all the stuff like she tells me what she learns don't ask me I already forgot everything but it's fascinating when she's telling it to me and she's like there's just so much to it it's like it is funny when you think about it where we just we don't think twice about it it's just very natural but there's so much to the whole process of it she's doing the fanatics class now and she's like oh this class was not fun oh yeah <laughs> learning all the anatomy and physiology like there's a lot to it yeah and I, when I go into Wyatt's classroom too I go every year to kind of just talk to his peers and answer questions and kind of take that mystery away that's kind of how I say it too I'm like something that comes as easy to me and you to spout off all this language right now Wyatt's brain just doesn't do that as easily. That's just really hard for his brain to do it. He can, and you'll hear him say a lot of things. You know, some of his classmates will be like, mom, Wyatt talks. He really does. Like he says words and he does, but it's just, that's hard for his brain, you know, and that's the easiest way to put it. Our brain is doing something so complex by us speaking and, you know, moving all of our articulators at exactly the right moment mm -hmm. and gosh, when I'm trying to teach a kid how to do an R, your tongue has to be up and like surfing and <laughs> it's not like anything, but it's got to be in just the right position. That's why we all hate doing R's, but it is, it is very complex and it takes a lot of practice. So like exactly what Jen was saying, you know, if, if we're seeing them for 20 minutes and that's all they're getting and they're never practicing it outside the speech room, it's going to take a lot longer. So we can just move to Boston. We don't really pronounce our R. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, overrated, right? <laughs> well, and I think too, with the therapy, the one thing I was thinking when you're talking about therapists and therapy is like, you may not think that the therapy is working. Cause I I've heard this a lot from a lot of parents specifically for speech therapy, like nothing's changing, nothing's working, but Nixon, when he started speaking, we saw things come back from his first bracket of speech therapy. Once he was able to articulate and speak. So it was going in, we necessarily couldn't see how that was affecting or cataloging in his brain. So you may feel like it's not working the speech therapy or not progressing in, in any way, but it's probably going in and you could see that down the line moving forward, which is hard, a hard learning curve, but also a hard learning curve with saying no to speech therapists or therapists that don't work. I think that takes a lot of like skill and understanding that it's okay to just be like, this is terrible. Actually, we're not doing this anymore. It's not working for anybody. The vibe is not good. We got to say, oh, no, thank God. you. Good, <laughs> goodbye. It's yeah. just it's not working well and that's okay. And scary yeah. sometimes when you know you're going to be on a wait list for another four months until you get somebody else. I know we pulled Alyssa out of speech and it took me a long time to find an adult place that could take that would take adults but she just couldn't handle the virtual she did really good with it at first but like her speech therapist went on maternity leave and it was like kept switching and she just can't go on a computer and have a different person every couple of weeks like and one of the people just did not have the right bedside manner that Alyssa needs so to speak and she kept doing find this and then Alyssa's trying to find and she's like find the mountain hit the mountain button. And like, I was like, oh, you gotta, you gotta give her a second. You know, there's 50 screen and they can't see. It's not like when you're, when you're across the table with somebody and she just then would refuse. And she got so distressed. Like she like broke glass. She just, I was, and I was like, all right, we're just going to get her over this. We're just going to get her through this tantrum. She's just going to have to do it. She's just trying to deny a demand or whatever. But then I had to take a step back and be like, okay, if it's causing her this much distress, I need to listen to her. Like she doesn't want to do it. And I mean, her speech didn't really regress from her not doing it. So like that was at least kind of good. You know, eventually I'd like to get her back into it because I just, it's like you said, it never hurts. It never hurts. It's always like good to, you know, just have that guidance. But um, I had to listen to her because for, for whatever reason, the virtual was just, she didn't want, did not want to do it. I think it was the, the way the therapists were constantly switching. And I think that was just too much for her in I think that last one she just didn't have that like I think it's hard with her because they see an adult but like you can't really just talk to her like an adult because that's not how she responds and sometimes people want to be respectful and not not saying talk to her like a baby but she needs a lot of that like oh you're doing a good job like she that that's what she thrives on she thrives on that positive reinforcement I need that too 
Yeah, me too. Which is great because you don't have to give her something. You just give her like the praise and that's like enough for her. But she just didn't really get Alyssa, I don't think. And Alyssa did not respond well to her. And then she was just like, every time I pulled up the computer, she would just go insane. And I'm like, oh. I mean, that's definitely communication. (laughs) And it's like, I don't know what it was. I can only like speculate. That's just what I think. But she was just clearly telling me Uh -uh. that she didn't want to do it. That line where like, you can't like just let them have what they want all the time but at the same time like if it's going to cause her that level of distress now her yeah. sister just has to become a thief there's always a loophole to get around guys so <laughs> i say you i've wanna... got you in training you know i mean they're That's they're right. ready to go they've seen enough yeah yeah, yeah. my niece is she's like <laughs> i'm teaching lulu to talk because she's five so it's like she's kind of like learned to talk and then like now Alyssa is talking so she thinks it was her <laughs> you know i but, love uh, to hear like phrases from my youngest that like i know come directly from my mouth like oh yeah. that was really good buddy you know like oh no <laughs> nope no we're not going to the mountains yet about four more weeks and then we'll go to the mountains okay bud and I'm like that is so me (laughs) and they know exactly like the response is like okay how to redirect I want cabin oh we're not going to the cabin yet bud but you know like first we need to acknowledge what he's saying you know I mean they're just right on it and they'll they'll pick up on it too and then you have multiple speech therapists but that's really a beautiful thing like I watch these people not rach we only have singles over here but like these other people they're like how their children you know they they help each other you know nora may be considered nonverbal, but even with nixon like they're together you know and to watch mm-hmm. the sibling thing is i think it's beautiful today for example i was running late at a meeting and i knew i wouldn't be home by the time Wyatt's bus got there and i was freaking out about it and i'm like okay my oldest is not gonna know he's gonna be sitting on the couch the bus is gonna be at the driveway he's not gonna do a thing i'm like my only hope right now because he's not answering his phone either that's my oldest is that my youngest gets home at around the same time he's gonna notice that Wyatt's bus is there come in alert me realize i'm not there he's going to then get older brother to tell to get Wyatt off the bus and I got home and there was no bus and I'm like oh my gosh did it work did it work like did they know like if mom is not here just how many boys are in my house right now I know I'm like is everybody in here oh my gosh you know and Owen's like yeah I'm totally I totally got it and I'm dressed and all ready for swim lessons and I'm like oh I love (laughs) I only have one he's he's everything and my oldest I'm like first of all where is your phone I've been calling you I'm (laughs) lost again oh boy that one's my husband but this one is me (laughs) they're all different you know but it's so funny but I love that you guys just knew to, you know, if I'm never not here and, you know, we all have those moments, like just take care of your brother. Okay. No one burns food like mom. You will be missed. Yeah. You yeah. will be missed. Exactly. <laughs> well, Deidre, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. We really appreciate it. So much to unpack in a short time. Yeah. So much. To great. Learn. There's a whole lot more that we could go into, but I hope that that was helpful. And it was my gosh, so much fun. We could go on and on about like, all the scripting and all of the I things. know <laughs> so much so we'll have to have you come back on to talk about that gestalt thing because I I've seen a little bit about that but yeah it's fascinating it really yeah. is Deidre where can people find you well I don't write a ton but when the mood strikes I have a Facebook page called making the best of it why it's way so you'll see a little bit of me on there when I'm not trying to get home or working this speech job or yeah. working with Tara or doing all of the things. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode. Check out the description to find where you can sign up for our newsletter, how to become a supporter, and find links to us individually. Join us next Monday for more. And while you wait, check out our content on Facebook and Instagram. If you are enjoying the podcast, please make sure to subscribe and rate and review us wherever you listen. To contact us, you can email us at tableforfivepodcasts at gmail.com. We can't wait to sit with you again.